0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100, best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: A really successful wholesaler should approach the business, the market, and their wholesale deal with the mindset of a fix and flip investor.
0: Their team has over 200 deals under their belt and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash bestever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain that's why I've partnered up with stride health and they make the whole process really easy and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out they've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever that's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.com forward slash best ever Hi Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and this is a show that cuts out all that fluffy stuff. Get straight to the real estate advice that moves your business forward, helps you make money, save some time and just be more efficient and and enjoy things a little bit better um, than perhaps you are right now. Uh, With us today, we have an experienced fix and flipper. We're going to talk to him about his company as well as other things. So hello, Dan Breslin.
1: Hello, Joe.
0: Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, nice to have you. Very nice to have you. Dan is the host also of REI Diamonds podcast. So go check that podcast out. He is the founder of Diamond Equity Investments, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a fix and flip company. He operates in three markets. Philadelphia, Chicago, and Tampa Bay. Since 2006, when he founded the company, he's closed on more than 300 deals, and all of them have been off-market deals with one exception, and that one exception didn't turn out so well, and perhaps we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And then non-real estate related, he says he uh, his, basically his whole life revolves around real estate, but he does focus on healthy eating. He's 6'2 and loves working out. So, uh, boy, it it's almost sounds like a personal ad, Dan. If you're single, then, <laughs> the, hey, ladies, uh, <laughs> give Dan a shout. With
1: that being said, Dan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? I appreciate the uh, warm, welcomed introduction there, Joe. And uh, as you were saying, I said, you know what, you know, I'm all about you know, eating well, but at the same token, the reason I moved to Chicago in the first place was to be a more present father and my daughter, who's now 13, four, she'll be 14 in about two weeks. And uh, I had the opportunity with my real estate business being more and more systematized to finally make that move and be in the same city that she's been in since she's lived in Chicago area for about eight or nine years. So I guess that's another real estate, non-real estate related fact people might want to know. So I'll give you a little bit of background there. You know, the 300 deals is definitely... Definitely uh, significant. And part of the way we feed our fix and flip machine, Joe, is a lot of those deals end up being wholesale deals, you know, in neighborhoods where we're not equipped necessarily with private funders who like investing in certain areas or distance wise. It may not work out geographically for the investors. So by default, I began doing uh, a ton of wholesale deals to feed the fix and flip machine with the right opportunities.
0: All right. Let's go back to your first
1: ones. How'd you get going? So I was pretty much, it's great. You know, I'll tell the story and try to yank some tears. So my daughter was four and I was without a job, bad credit. I had had a bankruptcy a few years prior to that time. Actually, I may have wrapped it up right around that time. And uh, I was 26, it was 2006, and I was actually living back at my mom's house. So I had pretty much failed out of life And came bumping in on my again to my parents. And it was a very humbling time in my life. And at that time, I remember my dad, he's like, you know, we're going to do something. We're going to put something together. And like he, we always kind of did like contracting, electrical work, things of that nature. So I sort of thought that's where it would go. He ended up, uh, we went to a seminar, we invested in some, well, my dad put the money up and sent me by myself with a gentleman we met to some expensive seminars, um, you know, that I'm sure a lot of people know about. For me, it was a great investment, Joe. Getting the right education and spending, you know, three, four days at a time, several separate times with experienced investors who were making money put the vocabulary and the thought processes into my mind that allowed me to finally, you know, when I got some traction and, and finally did that first deal allowed me to really uh, hit the ground running. And that first deal, I had uh, like a hundred bucks left and I bought an ad for like $79 for seven days. And on day six, you know, we buy houses out in the newspaper. Day six, I get the ad uh, the call and I go out to the property and, uh, you know, we're talking low-end property. I bring my daughter. It's in kind of like a rough section of town, a lot of drug activity on the streets, things of that nature. And I put it under contract for $5,500. And then I made an attempt to raise money. I figured, you know, I got into this business to fix and flip houses, so I'm gonna go find someone to lend me the money and I'm gonna fix and flip or rent it out. I didn't know what I was gonna do. Nobody wanted to take the plunge and invest in that area of town, so I ended up putting a few Craigslist ads up and the market was different in 2006. I ended up selling that house for eleven thousand five hundred and uh walking away from settlement with like six thousand dollar check and once you know once that took place a few times and started to repeat, uh, you know, before I knew it I had people that actually were investing money in my deals and it really uh really started my career.
0: What's a typical deal look like right now?
1: A typical deal right now, probably ninety percent of the deals wind up being wholesale deals and 10% end up being fix and flip properties. I really like to focus on properties that have an ARV above $200,000, Joe, and I'm willing to pay up to 70% of the ARV on those properties because there's a little bit of a larger potential for profit, say, on a $350,000 house at 70%. When you do the numbers and I pay my investors and contracting, et cetera, there's still a solid you know, forty, forty five to fifty thousand dollars that uh I have usually partners on deals who are helping get, you know, the large volume of work done. So I like that higher end, although I will buy a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar ARV. I think I'm flipping one house with one of my partners right now. It's like we're buying it for twelve, thirteen grand, I think we bought it for we're gonna put, you know, eight, nine, ten grand in it and turn around and sell it to someone for, you know, forty, forty five. So you know we will wholesale deals we will flip deals we will do them in you know pretty much any of the price points but i really do my sweet spot is the uh, the 300 250 350000
0: arv and with the 2 to 300 350 arv are those
1: the fix and flips or are those the wholesales so i'm constantly doing wholesale deals and i'm doing them in every Price point. So I'm looking at my board right now, and there's maybe 45 addresses altogether. Maybe six of those I own in a fix and flip state. 14 of those are under contract with buyers waiting to settle their wholesale deals. And then, you know, the other 20, 24 or so are properties that are under contract that are probably going to be assigned just because some of the numbers aren't, you know, as solid as maybe they would need to be for a flip uh, where they're just in areas where they just don't work for us. A few of those we're actually going to close on ourselves. also. Did I answer the question or did I get off?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are your thoughts on wholetailing or double closing where you sell it instead of to an
1: investor, you sell it to a retail buyer? You know, I love that strategy. And years ago, I remember we used to do that strategy a little more regularly. So I'll give you an example of a deal that kind of works for that. We had a property that we needed to buy for somewhere around seventy seventy five thousand. 75,000. The lady wanted 100,000, 110, and I think 110 was our bottom line and she would not go under that number. So that normally to me it's like okay, I follow up and if she wants to sell for, you know, the numbers that make sense for me, I'll be happy to buy it, but I'm not even going to put that property under contract there you know, at that high number, because there's no real cash buyers out there going to take it. But then we backed in, my partner had a friend who happened to be looking for like a fixer upper house in that same neighborhood. And, you know, I think we like wrote the deal up for 130,000 or something. And the guy got like a $10,000 repair credit. And I think we made like 10,000 on the deal, something like that. And maybe the house, you know, probably retailed for 150 to 180, but the guy was happy to move in there, so like the wholesaling thing kind of worked on that, and this was also in a time when there wasn't as much regulation on the mortgages as there are today. So today, I have not had any success in attempting to wholesale to someone that's going to live in the property, and I haven't really attempted that just because of the uh, regulation with mortgage lending, and then also on the flip side, you can invest a lot of time chasing a unicorn. Sometimes the unicorn being, you know, some of these deals in a sense, Joe, you have to like herd cats to deal with buyers. So I've always been like more focused on the seller side of the business. And that's led to my success. Like I'm always paying more attention to the seller leads, contracts with sellers, the inventory that I can put under contract, and then I'll work to sell that stuff. Whereas On a wholesale deal, and there may be some guys who figure out the systems a little better I've never developed, but for me, for me to like contract a property at a high number, a lot of times you get into this like confusing kind of conversation pattern with the seller who was looking for a cash sale and then I'm bringing like a mortgage buyer in. So it really was not the best use of my time to develop that. And I'm also operating in like more of like a stable market. I would say Chicago and Philadelphia markets are Mm -hmm. somewhat stable, so they're not... You know, San Francisco, you got people who are buying, you know, million, million point one, million point five houses for, you know, some of them cash. And if you got a cash buyer who's going to live in the property, you have the ability to double close. But seasoning requirements and things of that nature, for me, have made the uh, wholesaling to retail people much less of an opportunity, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Thank you for shining some light on that because. I've had a guest on here, and you mentioned San Francisco. It's, it's a coincidence because the guest who was talking about wholesaling, he is in San Francisco, and he's making you know a million dollars a year. He's made a million dollars a year for the last three years doing it. About fifty percent of his business is that, and he's only doing like eighteen deals over the course of the year. But as you said, he's in a really hot market where people are paying cash and they're closing quickly, and he's able to close on a property and and then, you know, sell it to somebody else, turn around and sell it later. And best ever listeners, if you're curious who I'm referring to, it's episode 447, Jason Boozy. So episode 447. All right, Dan, I've got a question on how you're financing the deals. How are you getting the financing for the deals that you, not the whole, obviously wholesaling, but the deals that you're doing the fix and flip for?
1: So I'm going to kind of go in two directions on that one, and uh, I'm going to circle back around and talk about how those wholesale deals are funded and how somebody who might be like trying to get into the wholesale thing should think about wholesale deals. But as far as our fix and flip goes, I have my podcast show as well, Joe, and I do send out to a variety of lists. I I have a a real estate meetup, you know, with 12, 1400 members, you know, 60 to 80 show up each month. So out of that network of people that I've built up, my lenders typically will reach out to me. So I don't advertise for lenders. I don't solicit for lenders. But a lot of times people know that I'm in the business and know that I have those kind of opportunities. So when they start to kind of learn about those opportunities, they usually shoot me an email. Hey, Dan, uh, I'm interested in, you know, this, I have this IRA with this amount, you know, is that something you could do? And, uh, sometimes, you know, we'll have that relationship and, and put something together. So that is a portion. And then another portion is, uh, one of my partners is he's kind of a private person, so I won't name his name or give any, any of the, uh, information away, but he's a prominent figure in his, uh, circle of influence, shall we say? And he has put together, well, we have put together, um, together, maybe 1 million or so, give or take, 1.3 million, somewhere in that range at any given time that we're pumping in and out deals in amounts of like 50 to 150 or $250,000, and we borrow that money, Joe. This is important, this is kind of like the, uh, this is a unicorn that most people aren't going to get. Balloon interest only, so there's no monthly payments for us on that, most of the mortgage, private mortgages and private loans, we don't make a monthly payment. We pay all the interest at the end of the loan when that property sells, so that allows us to reduce our accounting. You know, We send out monthly reports to our investors and let people know how things are going. Maybe we'll send pictures out once per quarter, just kind of do an update so they know that their money is safe, but we do not send a checkout to have that additional accounting. We pay 9% or 10% interest on the flips. And then I actually have another small business that not a lot of people know about with five-year terms, and we'll pay 12% interest to allow somebody to put their money into play at 12% interest, receiving 1% per month for a term of five years. So the lock-up period is a little bit longer, but some of the investors prefer that longer lock-up period, so they don't have an IRA that they're trying to constantly chase another deal, and they're in the same... Position that I am as a rehabber to like find another deal to put the money to work. So even though maybe they get, you know, 9, 10, or 12% or whatever percent return on a rehab, if the rehab only takes nine months, Joe, and we do the calculation based on the year and the money sat dormant in the IRA, self directed IRA account for the other three months, their effective rate is reduced by 25%. So a 10% return can turn into like a 7.5% return and they have to find the next opportunity to put that money to work. So some people prefer a longer lockup period. And then on the flip side, a wholesaler should think about the deal because I notice we do some, you know, t- some training. I wrote a book on wholesaling and I've, I've been a part of uh, quite a few people's first deal. And a lot of times that's a wholesale deal that either I'm buying or I help them close and they end up looking at the business wrong. So there's, there's a goal. People hear, oh my gosh, this guy went out and assigned for, you know, he made $12,000. All he did was put the property in the contract and then sell the property. So they set out with a, a goal to go make a large copious amount of money for not a lot of work and they're just going to contract the property and then find someone to buy the contract or the property for X amount of dollars more. And that's their goal. Their goal is making X amount of dollars on top of their contract. Whereas on the flip side, a really successful wholesaler should approach the business, the market, and their wholesale deal with the mindset of a fix and flip investor. So I look at this property the same way as I'm going to look at it if I have to close on this deal with my money or my private money or even hard money at 15% or whatever the case is, put a certain amount of money into it and renovations and either refinance that property out or... Resale that property for a profit or some other reason why somebody want to be in that market, like student housing or some other advance of appreciation, gentrifying neighborhood, et cetera. So a good wholesaler from the beginning wants to define their mindset, not as a wholesaler, not as someone going to chase a $5,000 assignment check, but as somebody who's putting together a profitable deal at a certain number That if they got to close on this property for for their cash, flip it, fix it, the whole nine yards, they understand the deal the same way the fix and flip investor is. And then to take it one step further, that new wholesaler should put themselves in a mindset like this, Joe. Hey, I'm going to put this deal together and I'm going to close on it. Now, if I bring in another partner, quote unquote, an end buyer, and the end buyer pays me out my profit at settlement now in a form of an assignment fee or consulting fee or assignment fee, whatever it is, it really, it's like we were partners on the deal, but I was paid out as settlement. So like I've had deals where that was the case and I received the money, even though I was a partner on a flip. A lot of the flips I'll even do today, like I don't have, you know, every time LLC together and all this There's like a few of my partners we're handshake. And there's, you know, God forbid if he gets hit by a bus, there's, you know, deals we would have trouble trying to sort out, which I don't suggest doing it that way. But you know that's kind of the level of trust and integrity that I have with the partners I do, and I've been paid out, you know, right to settlement. Hey, I you know I know this is early on when I know you need this money for marketing. I'm going to cut you this check for X amount of your profit now. We're just going to overbar the amount whatever profits left in the deal that's supposed to be yours after the deal settles, I'll give you that as well. So I think to have that shift for a newer investor or somebody just getting off the ground, that shift of, Hey, I'm a fix and flip investor. I got into this business to fix and flip houses, not to run out and assign a deal and make 12,000. By default, I figured out, you know, to do some assignments, keep my machine running and then wholesale deals to get to the point of being able to become the source of deals for my fix and flip business. But definitely that's one thing I could suggest to just take to heart is be a fix and flip investor. That's the mindset you want to have, even if you are wholesaling, getting started and going in that path in the very beginning.
0: With the 12% for five years where you lock up the money and you pay them 12% for, for five years... I haven't heard a fix and flip investor take that approach. I've, I've just heard them do kind of a deal by deal basis. And this is kind of like a fund in my world where you raise money for, you know, you tell them it's going to go towards this type of property and then you go buy it with the money that you've you received from them versus have the property and then you get the money for that property. What type of paperwork is involved with that 12% for five years transaction?
1: So that actually is for a different business that I'm a part of, which is real estate related. And we run group homes, Joe, for drug addicts and alcoholics who are getting out of treatment. And we buy actually houses with larger square footage, bathrooms, et cetera. And it's a long term five year mortgage interest only with a mortgage and a note recorded against the property solely. We're not combining any investors money on one of those deals. It's one investor per property. With security being the mortgage into property. Got it. Okay.
0: You said you have a real estate meetup, 60 to 80 people show up every month. How long have you had that
1: and how have you gotten to build it to that degree? I have been doing that for approximately two and a half years. We originally started by going into Meetup. You can go to meetup.com and Meetup will actually provide you with great people depending on the market. Philadelphia seems to be a vibrant investor market in that area and investors, buyers, people who are trying to be in the business, who are like actually doing stuff, not just newbies. Meetup has like a way of feeding you the right people. So like all of a sudden Meetup is building your list and that's going on on one half. And then on the other half, I'm advertising 10 to 15 or 20 properties per month, wholesale deals in the market on Craigslist, Zillow. So throughout that activity, we're building our buyers list. And part of our buyers list and how we add value is having them come to the meetup. And we charge no money for our meetup, Joe. It's sponsor driven. So we'll have maybe a title company or we'll have a home inspector who might come. We have a credit repair company that comes. We have the insurance company who does, you know, the investor's the Philadelphia, the uh, investors insurance agency who pretty much, uh, you know, they're the big fish in Philadelphia when it comes to single family insurance policies. They're uh, an ongoing sponsor. So through the sponsorship model, it's not like a source of, you know, me or my company making money from that meetup or trying to generate a ton of income, but more so just adding value for our buyers. And that's like our number one most important thing. We have meetups, we bring in guests. We try to do our best to bring people who can add the same way you're doing with this podcast. People get a like, tremendous amount of value and tremendous amount of knowledge as a result of your efforts. You know, I don't know. I haven't listened to every episode, but I assume you're not, you know, s- you know, selling a ton of stuff. And, you know, I certainly am not here selling something on here. So it's just a matter of building value for people. And we'll have referrals. We'll have meetup feeding. We'll have my own buyer's list feeding. So that, you know, typically the sponsors will invite some people as well. So we've had, you know, as low as 30, 35 people in the room, and we've had as many as like 200.
0: What are the, you said 299 of the 300 deals that you've done have been off market. What are the three most
1: effective ways of finding off market deals? You're looking for the silver bullet, and there really is none. I would love every time I find a new source, or I try out a list, or I try out something that works, or I hear somebody... More so before a few years ago than now because I have a different level of experience and awareness in the market. You know, everyone's looking for that simple answer. Oh, we just put bandit signs up and the phone lit up. Oh, we just sent out probate letters and the phone lit up. Oh, we just sent out foreclosure letters and the phone went out. So there's really like no way to rate them as the top three because it's, you know, I'll send. If you're asking me for my favorite medium, my favorite medium, number one, is direct mail. Number two is pay-per-click which is really not that great at all. I prefer direct mail and I used to spend much more money on the pay per click than I do on direct mail. Direct mail's great. I'm not even I'm not even sure there is a the third is probably referrals. I like to I like to be at the settlement table and, and put you know, put that first real estate check in somebody's hand. So that, that really is like one of my favorite. Although that's not the most effective for us. Direct mail is the most effective. Why do you think it's the most effective? It has staying power, you know. I'm putting 20, 25,000 letters per month in mailboxes, and people, I tell them to save that letter until they're ready to sell. And people actually save that letter until they're ready to sell. And we'll get a call a year later, three months later, two months later. Whereas my newspaper ad, Joe, first thing someone does the following day after my ad was sitting, they throw the newspaper in the trash. You follow me? So, so mail has staying power. It's the ability to creep back up from the dead.
0: Dan, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: My best real estate investing advice ever is to build partnerships by putting a check in the partner's hand. Will you give us an example? Yeah. An example is you got somebody who started in a real estate business and they're pretty much at a level of a bird dog and they bring you a lead. You got two choices. You go into the living room, you close the lead and you give them a check for $500. That's what, you know, a lot of advice is perpetrated or, you know, prom-, prom promulgated in the market. And instead I'll go out to the living room or one of my you know, one of my partners will go out to the living room, negotiate the deal. We'll do everything. Some some people just send us the lead and we don't even ask them to go out, take pictures. Nothing. We go out, we close the deal, and then we send them a check. I think we just had a deal close. The assignment fee was somewhere in the eleven thousand dollar range and we send the check in the mail for, you know, five thousand I think it was like five thousand eight hundred and fifty or five thousand three hundred and fifty whatever it was, it was his half of the assignment fee, even though he had just basically sent that deal. So if you can, that guy is a loyal partner. He sends leads on a regular basis. So if you can like find ways to have other people, I'm not saying to give up every single deal or be completely foolish and try to you know, spread your, your deals around with everybody. But if you can find ways to make money for the people around you, that's going to produce dividends in the future. Even that private money arrangement to partnership I was telling you about, that started because my third deal uh, I assigned to him and it was a fix and flip and I was thinking about trying to do it myself. Instead I assigned it to this other guy. And then the fourth deal, we ended up splitting an assignment fee of like sixteen thousand dollars on it. So he had made eight grand, he had bought a deal from me, and then on the fifth deal I said, nah, we got a partner on this fifty-fifty. So I didn't come right out of the gate, Joe, saying, Hey, let's partner on this deal together and fix it and flip it, and like kinda like approaching, you know, putting the car before the horse. Instead we had put together a few deals and he had made some money. And this is my, you know, long-term partner, even to this day, 10 years later, we're still doing deals. And that was how it started, Joe. I put a few checks, you know, I didn't intentionally do it then, but somebody had, uh, eloquently spoken that advice to me recently on one of my episodes. And, uh, I remember when that same guest on that show put the check in my hand and established our relationship and we had done a ton of deals together. So that, that's kind of what I meant by that.
0: You ready for the best ever lightning round Let's do it. First a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflipcom forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read.
1: The best ever book I've read was the Bible.
0: Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it.
1: Getting clean and sober from drugs and alcohol, and I learned that there's a whole lot more to life than the things I thought were important as a foolish youngster. Best
0: ever deal you've done? The first one. Best ever project you're most excited about right now?
1: Building up the recovery house business.
0: What's the, and this might tie into it, what's the best ever way you like to give back?
1: That is definitely a big part of it right now. The things, the activities, the systems, we're we're working to create a a better environment, a better mindset for the residents and the, the clients we have come through that program. So for us, it's all about finding a better way to treat the disease of addiction and alcoholism.
0: What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate?
1: I think early on, not realizing that some of my partners were much better for me than I'd like to think. So I had a tendency early on, you know, eight, nine years ago, to want to try and do all the deals myself and not recognizing the value that was brought by having more experienced partners with better connections. And I think I I didn't treat those opportunities with the same level of attention and respect that I treat the potential partnership opportunities with today. Dan,
0: what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you?
1: The best ever place that listeners can reach me is uh, through the podcast. You can go to www.reidiamonds.com. And if you sign up there, I'll also send you my free report titled Seven Sources of Off Market Deals. Uh, you can also go to iTunes and search REI Diamonds and click subscribe.
0: Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners. and. Wow. I had a daughter who was four years old, no job, bad credit, just went through bankruptcy and uh, we're living with your mom at 26 years old. And then you, you went to a seminar and what seminar was that by the way?
1: That was uh, Russ Whitney. I don't think his company is around lately. I think he's still doing deals though.
0: Okay. You we went to a seminar, it resonated, you learned the vocabulary, the thought process. And you did your first deal, you had a hundred bucks, and you placed an ad in in the newspaper for $79 for seven days. On day six, you got a call, ended up putting it under the house under contract for $5,500. Then you sold it for $11,500. You kept doing that. Right now, out of your deals, 90% are wholesale. 10% 10% fix and flip range. You talked about wholetailing, and I'm glad you gave a different perspective on that, that uh, one that I hadn't heard of, but it makes a lot of sense as far as if you're selling to the end buyer, the retail customer, so the family or whomever, then it's it's going to take a little bit longer, most likely, unless you're in a really hot market and people are paying cash and snatching up properties. So I think there's there's always there's pros and cons to anything in life, and uh, that that's something just to take into consideration. I'm glad that you shared that with us. And then you're talking about the fix and flips and the ways you find the off market deals, both for wholesale and fix and flip. Direct mail by far is number one. Pay per click and referrals are a distant second and third. And you mentioned the the direct mail piece; it has staying power, as you said. And the the key is you tell them to save that letter until they're ready to sell. I think that's really important, and that's that's a one liner that uh, a lot of the best ever listeners can put in their direct mail. And I think that can result in some more deals getting done. I love the approach and the mentality that you have as a wholesaler, where you said a successful wholesaler should approach business with a mindset of a fix and flip investor. So really pretend that we are holding onto the property as a fix and flip investor and approach it accordingly so that we're making sure that we are giving a good deal to our the buyer. And then for anyone looking to start a meetup group, tie into meetup.com they've got a built-in database my whole thing is anything I create I always want to tie into a larger database and leverage that and it helps achieve things faster for example a podcast iTunes large distribution channel so when we create things think of the large distribution channel in our category that we can tie into and we'll get up and running a whole lot faster Thanks so much for being on the show, sharing your best ever advice, and I hope you have a best ever day.
1: Thanks, Joe. appreciate you having me and you you uh, enjoy the rest of your day as well.
0: I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So, if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so, if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too, familiarize yourself with Matt and Um, what he's all about, but when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then fund that flips the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health, and they make the whole process really easy, and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever that's s-t-r-i-d-e-h-e-a-l-t-h.com forward slash best ever